Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very special edition of the Empire Podcast. This one is dedicated to the greatest actors of all time, and it's a companion piece to the brand new issue of Empire Magazine, which is on sale now in all good, evil, and virtual news agents. And in it, we celebrate, you'll never guess, the greatest actors of all time, as voted for, disclaimer, by you, the readers of Empire Magazine and the readers of Empire online. Uh, and I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Sorry. two colleagues. <laughs> I've just realised I'm yes, wearing I've seen this. two pairs yes. of headphones. Hang on, hang I don't on. know why. Wait, wait, wait. I don't know how it happened. This I've is just seen this. I've just seen this. I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Alex, two headphones, Godfrey, who is wearing headphones on his ears and headphones around why. his neck and is now just refusing to address the microphone. <laughs> I'm leaving it on. <laughs> he is... Uh, this is possibly the worst podcast technique I've ever seen in my entire life. That's why I don't come on these very <laughs> <laughs> So I wear two pairs of headphones and I don't talk into the microphone. Is that how it works? I, I, do I look like... Are you still not talking into the microphone? Alex, oh, talk into the microphone. Hello. See, Hello. Is, oh God. So two well, pairs of headphones and don't talk into the mic. Is yes, that right? That is correct. Okay. That is correct. Even Lobot had this shit figured out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't I honestly I don't know how this happened you're like Lobot's more inept cousin is the actor who played Lobot on this list by the way he, he might be bloody well should he be he may well be I think it was Robert De Niro I think it was Robert De Niro uh, Lobot De Niro surely and <laughs> next up we have you've just heard him he's our great big fucking nerd James Dyer hello hello James how many of the actors in this list have you heard of I'm here just for Schwarzenegger who I'm assuming is number one I'm assuming he is number one yeah. and uh, Vernon Wells is number two absolutely <laughs> and then we just go through the casting <laughs> commando <laughs> Sooner or later, we'll get to someone you do care about. Uh, speaking of which, is Alan Rickman on the list? Anyway, we'll get into it. We'll get into it in a second. We'll get into it in a second. Uh, we'll apportion blame soon enough. <laughs> no, no doubt. Uh, because I'm very excited about this. I'm very excited about this. Uh, we are doing something brand new. Uh, you'll hear this after this week's podcast. So we're doing it again on this week's regular podcast. But Helen O'Hara, our geek queen, is not here right now. She is swanning around in Northern Ireland. And we said, Oi, Helen, put a stop to that swanning around and gallivanting. Uh, it's time to do some work. And so we have got Helen tethered to a laptop. And through the miracle of modern technology, we're in the studio. But I believe Helen O'Hara is on the other end of this line. Helen O'Hara, <sighs> are you there? How are you? My goodness. Oh, my giddy aunt. How are you? I am I am excited to be able to see none of you and hear all of you. It's the worst of both worlds, really, isn't it? My you don't goodness. want to see our faces, surely, do you? That's Well, that's true. I suppose that's a small you, mercy. You missed my two pairs of headphones. Yeah, it was priceless. I did. I did. James has taken yes. a I have uh, taken photograph. a picture. I will provide it yeah. to you. Well, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're hopefully going to get video up and running for the, for the next time. Uh, but, you know, technology, it's, it's, isn't it great? How is Northern Ireland, first of all? Uh, it's sunny. There is blue in the sky. I, I, I believe that's a colour that the sky sometimes goes. And, and here it is in Northern Ireland. There it Gosh. is. There it is. It's quite beautiful. Uh, all right. So what we have here, let's get into it because we don't have a lot of time for this one today. Uh, what we have here is a list of the 50 greatest actors of all time, as voted for, and again, I cannot stress this enough, by the <laughs> readers of Empire Magazine, available now in all good, evil, and virtual news agents, and Empire Online, which is available on the internet somewhere, James? Basically, that, yes. Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, and uh, what we have done, you've, you guys voted in your dozens, I believe, and we took those votes, we put them together, and we came up with the list of the 50 greatest actors of all time. Now, obviously, there are people who are excluded from this list who 
whose exclusion is controversial or might make you mad. But lists are lists. This is what happens. Sometimes you get Sean Dielman voted the greatest film of all time. Sometimes Bruce Campbell is on the list of the greatest actors of all time. What can you do? Anyway, but the list that we have is a list of some of the best actors in the business, in the history of the business. Um, we're not going to go through all 50 because we don't have that time. But I wanted to talk in, in just general terms. What do you look for in an actor? The ability to act, the ability to, to stand and deliver lines on camera is a bonus, I'm guessing. <coughs> Helen, what do you look for in an actor? Ideally, I'm kind of looking for the ability to make me forget I'm watching them to a point, um, because I think we're going to talk, I imagine, a little bit about the difference between actors and movie stars. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there is a difference. And I feel like um, movie stars can be great actors, but the two are not necessarily the same thing. You know, so an example of great acting that always comes to mind is, say, Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln, where I had to keep reminding myself that I wasn't watching actual Abraham Lincoln and was actually, in fact, watching a performance thereof. Um, But equally, you know, some people who never entirely leave their movie star personas behind, a a sort of a Betty Davis, for example, um, is also a great actress. So I I think you can... It's it's a little bit of both. I think I want to be taken away from it all, but sometimes I also want to be reminded that there's acting going on. Do you think you can you be a great I mean. movie star without being a great actor? I think there are very few. Um, but I think there are people who have more charisma than they have maybe acting talent. I mean, look, the, the, the most, um, the most uh, uh, profitable movie actor in the world right now is The Rock. And I don't think he would put himself <laughs> among the 50 greatest actors of all time. Um, but he is doing extremely well as a movie star. Most great movie stars are also great actors. I would absolutely fight night and day for the likes of Tom Cruise as a massively underrated acting talent, for example. Mm, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Uh, can you smell what The Rock is acting is often the question that I ask when I watch him <laughs> doing things. Uh, but it's like Schwarzenegger is the example of that, isn't he? Like the biggest, I would say at one point, clearly the biggest movie star. I mean, in many ways, literally the biggest movie star of all time. But no one would accuse him of being a spectacular actor. He's had great moments, Aftermath. He's fantastic in Maggie. He's fantastic. And certainly as he's got older, I think his acting's improved dramatically. But then occasionally he'll do like that crazy, what was the film he did? The, that kind of Russian huge effects epic thing that oh, he did Chan. Uh, yeah that's the one what was that and Jackie oh. Chan might be another one because uh, Jackie Chan is mm. not on this list no but uh, Jackie Chan for my money is uh, is one of the greatest movie stars of all time and a phenomenal actor yeah. when he but it's physical performance be, but it's physical, it's performance, physical yeah. performance yeah exactly so it's then but then Buster Keaton's on the list and his is obviously a physical performance as well so it's kind of it's, it's difficult to draw those well, lines well it is a physical performance but the, the, there's a piece in the issue written for us by James Mangold on Buster Keaton indeed uh, he's a big fan of Buster Keaton. I believe he might be making a biopic about him. But his piece is, is completely arguing the case for Buster Keaton as an actor. And he winds up by saying, look beyond the physical performance. Look beyond the slapstick. He is a remarkable emotional performer. So, you know, it's not, it's not as clear as it might seem. As, as is Arnold. So, you know, it's all mm-hmm. good. Johnny Tatum. I walked past someone on my way in here uh, in uh, Golden Square just uh, about 20 minutes ago. I walked past someone who, if it, it wasn't Channing Tatum, was a spitting image of Channing Tatum. Uh, you know, cap down, movie star, movie star disguise on. He had a cap down. He was, he looked exactly like Channing Tatum. I did several double takes, you, uh, but it definitely wasn't him. I don't know. I don't it, it, know. Maybe, maybe it was a, a performance. I've walked past Luke Evans in this very square not so long ago either. So this maybe this is this is the place where people 
come to. Maybe they, they gravitate here. Walking around just praying that they get invited onto the this, Empire podcast. This is what it is. They know that the podcast gets recorded here and yeah. they're they're walking around. Maybe Channing Tatum has just been going, I just saw Chris Hewitt. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I just saw Chris Hewitt. Yeah, I, I saw, yeah maybe. Yeah. You, you know, I, think, I think so, Helen. I think you know, I saw a disheveled looking man in Golden Square. <laughs> I saw a man who looked like he had nothing left. <laughs> and that was, it must have been Chris Hewitt. Uh, but Channing Tatum, you know, he just popped into my head because I just walked past him in the street. Not more than 20 minutes ago. He's not on the list, but he, he can be very good. He can be very good. He can be very good. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, Alex, what else is in the issue? The cover, the cover story, well, this, the greatest actors of all time, as voted for by the readers, is the cover story, but it's headlined by an extraordinary interview and photo shoot with Nicolas Cage in his house in Las Vegas among his many animals. Uh, on the subs cover, he is pictured with his chow chow called Bruce Lee. I beg your pardon? Chow chow. It's a very floofy dog. In my day, we couldn't, we couldn't show a man's chow chow on the cover of Empire Magazine. <laughs> What's going on? This place has gone Even if you dogs. do call it Bruce Lee. Yes. Welcome to the 21st century. Uh, Nicholas Cage, it, we, out of all the people we wanted to speak to about acting, he made a lot of sense because he loves talking about what he does. He takes it seriously, although he's entertaining about it. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, we, we've all been interviewing actors for a long time. A lot of them do not like talking about acting. True. Like You speak to Joaquin Phoenix, try and get him on acting, forget about it. He doesn't want to know. Christian Bale I've spoken to, wonderful interviewee, doesn't really like talking about acting. I think because a lot of them uh, like to be humble and don't want to seem like that what they do is so important in the big scheme of things. And so they talk around it a bit more. Um, there are people like the people we've interviewed in this issue, Nicolas Cage and Tilda Swinton, who are fascinating about it and go deep mm. into what it's like as a craft and how they approach it and what it means to them. And Nicolas Cage has always talked about his nouveau shamanic acting style, <laughs> and he explains that over a glorious 3,000-word interview in this magazine. So but, he's the headline act. But he's someone who's got this incredible body of work, and you know, he's, he's, his style has varied wildly over the years, and yeah. sometimes he does do that, that wild, over-the-top Nicolas Cage style of acting, which maybe fall in love with him sometimes, and then sometimes he can get a little bit, a little bit um, um, I don't know if soporific is the right word, but he can be a bit, he can be a bit maudlin, he can be, he can be a bit turned off, a bit disengaged with the material. There was a, there was a mopey-eyed cage phase for a while, but over the last few mm. years, um, you know, prompted by, I think, the financial worries which, which made him take a lot of movies that he might not otherwise have taken, I think he's leaned into that and decided to just go gonzo no matter what happens. But, I've spoken to Nicholas Cage a bunch of times as well, and yeah, he's a fascinating person to speak to. Helen, do you like talking to actors about acting? I, I absolutely love finding out about processes and mechanics and their approaches. Yeah, it very much depends on the actor, doesn't it? I mean, it it really, really does. I think um, I actually asked Joaquin Phoenix once, and he doesn't even watch himself afterwards. A lot of them don't. Being, a lot being of them really strong. Yeah, cannot bear and to I do think it. I, he he said it was because you. You can find yourself leaning into things that people respond to, either positively or negatively. You know, so, so like maybe at some point somebody told Harrison Ford that pointing your finger is really cool, and then <laughs> he did it all the time. You know, um, it's cool if he does and it. So, exactly. So, so I think he was kind of wary of falling into tropes that way. Um, but yeah, it depends on the actor because some of them get really, really fascinating. Um, who was it? Danny Houston talking about becoming a vampire for 30 Days of Night. Oh, Not yeah. the greatest film in the world, but 
but he really got into it and he was literally like did all this digging into like Eastern European mythology and had all these creepy books and started doing creepy drawings and paintings. And basically to the point where a maid walked into his hotel room and like screamed and ran out um, because it was such a horror show of all these kind of black and red yeah. pictures. Um, so, a, you know, has, some people get into the travel lodge since. <laughs> Joaquin, you mentioned Joaquin Phoenix. He's he's a really interesting example, Helen, because I think over the last few years, he's become more and more unconventional and more and more naturalistic. I know you don't love every film he's made of late, but um, I Got think, Joker? yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think he, from the from what I've heard from the people who've worked with him and from the directors who have directed him, he doesn't want to do anything that smacks of artificiality. And that comes through in the way he works and the material he tries, chooses to do and who he chooses to work with and how he does it. You know, he doesn't want to be told, you know, this has got to go and find your mark. Stand here, do this. He will not do anything that doesn't feel like it's completely natural and authentic to him in the I moment. Mean, that can get really tiresome okay. very quickly, can't it? In what way? Because, I mean, in terms of, like, naturalistic, he's played the Joker and Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, in the last how, few years, so he's the, not, you know. But the way he plays them, there were stories about certain aspects of his behavior on Joker and how that impacted other actors and mm. and people like day players who came in, you know, who who get paid not very much to come in for a day, and then they're confronted with this guy who is, you know, who's who's bought into his own mythology in a way and his own methodology, yeah. and it's not very, I would argue, respectful of other actors. Yeah, well, that's a different... I mean, look at the look at the Jim Carrey Man on the Moon documentary. I mean, that's a fucking nightmare. That's wild. That, it, if you haven't seen that, by the way, it is incredible. Yeah. But I don't... Yeah. I mean, I think it's okay. I think you can be a bit of a dickhead if the results justify it. I don't think you should be an I... arsehole to people, but... You know. I disagree a bit on that. I think I think we're kind of trying to move past that as a society. And I think this this myth of the the great genius who can treat people like rubbish and it's worth it because of the art. I think I don't mean that. I, I, I think no, especially I know I know I don't I know you don't mean to go that far, but especially in a collaborative medium like cinema, I think we should be trying to avoid that. And I think, you know, historically a, a, a few actors have talked about this, but you know, people don't talk about how they went method playing a nice guy. I think it was Robert Pattinson said this. Nobody talks about going method to play, you know, Mr. Rogers, although Tom Hanks maybe did for the last <laughs> 40 years. We only talk, seem to talk about the method to justify bad behavior. And it's not, that is not the method, just to be clear, but because I'm sure some actors are shouting at the, the pod, pod device right now. But, you know, th this sort of, th these stories that are associated more with Jared Leto's Joker, to be fair, than, than Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, we we don't hear that about Mr. Rogers. We don't hear that about Captain America. I did actually see uh, Chris Evans literally holding the door open for people at, at length on set of Captain America. You know, like a whole yeah. stream of people going through the door and he's still standing there holding it open kind of stuff. So, I you saw know, him beat the shit think, out of a bunch of people in a lift. Once, so. <laughs> there you go, right? So he does go method for that. But, but we don't hear that as much. We hear more about how people were immersing themselves in the role when it's being a complete shit everybody mm. else around them i wonder whether it requires something more of you like the psychic toll it must take to play these kind of roles i'm not an actor but i can very much imagine there's a kind of nietzschean component to it that you can't kind of stare long into a really dark character without it rubbing off on you without it taking home and i think some of the actors i've spoken to you know i've struggled with that i find it really interesting like and while everything with me comes back to the west wing you look at the west wing you look at like richard schiff who's a very soulful emotional actor who has to connect with his characters and he needs 
what happens to his characters on screen to be true to the essence of who they are. Like, he really bonds with the character on a deep emotional level. And then you look at, like, his co-star, Josh Molina, who treats it as a nine-to-five job. Like, he gets yeah. in, he does the role, he goes home, and it's just a job. If he needs to cry on screen, he says, literally says, can someone bring some talent over here? And they have this powder that they all blow into your eyes to make your eyes water. Like, he doesn't have any emotional connection to his character. He just treats it as he is performing a role. It's just a job. That's all it is to him. Well... There's that famous, you know, story about Laurence Olivier and mm. Dustin Hoffman on set of Marathon Man, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of them completely method, one of them not in the slightest. Indeed. But, Shall we repeat that story for people who don't know it? Go on, Chris. You, you set it up, Alex. He's, he's running around exhausting himself, isn't he? Hoffman is. Yeah. Hoffman's and Olivier Hoffman's like, have you tried acting, dear boy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and Laurence Olivier, just basically, I mean, I'll paraphrase, but it's like, just fucking act. Okay, basically is the number uh, uh, yeah. Have you tried acting, dear boy? I yeah. think was his yeah. exact yeah. wording. But my, my point is, they're both amazing in it. They're both great. Mm. The, you know, you don't watch that film and feel like I'm watching two different acting methods going on here. And I think all that matters is the end result, and they do whatever they need to do to get there. I, I was, I, it's it, fascinating. Method yeah. has become a bit of a dirty word, and I think people talk about well, well because you know, it, it, uh, I, I, and, and certainly in film, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, Helen was talking earlier on about Daniel Day Lewis playing Lincoln, and mm. I, I just see Daniel Day Lewis in, in that film. Yeah, uh, and oh, I don't really. Uh, yeah. But but you know, there's been much made over the years about how he went method in that movie. Uh, and every movie, indeed. In fact. Yeah. But you know, at a certain level, it's like, mate, <laughs> how are you explain the cameras? What do you think is happening? Well, <laughs> you know, like, what, well, what is going on? No, but it's fascinating, isn't it? And uh, on, I think on Phantom Thread, Paul Thomas Anderson said he would write letters to his co-stars, uh, Daniel Day Lewis, in character. Yeah, you know, you know, mm. and mobile phones. Forget about them for a few months. Coming I, home quite hard for the for the husbands and wives. You hear it all the time, don't you? Like Jane Campion said on The Power of the Dog that she said goodbye to Benedict Cumberbatch at the beginning of the shoot and she didn't mm. see him again for three months or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. And then, you know, Phil Phil appeared, did his thing, and then Benedict Cumberbatch appeared again at the end of the shoot. And how many times do you hear directors say of, a, of an actor who's maybe doing an accent, I didn't hear their voice until the end of the Indeed. shoot. But it's always, there's still, there's a performative level to it all. You know, there's a level of calculation that's, you know, to the performance. I think it's interesting, but I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm, 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 I'm more in the camp of actors who are slightly skeptical of mm. the method, mm. the quote unquote method. And there are many, many methods out there. There's not just one method, but I'm more in their camp. I'm, I'm, I'm more aligned with the people who can switch it on and switch it off again, like the, like the Anthony Hopkins of this world. Yeah. The, um, there was a great book this this year by Isaac Butler about the method. I think it's called The Method. And it's talking a lot about this. It's talking a lot about the fact that the method was about getting in touch with your emotions and being able to tap into those emotions. And a lot of the actors you're talking about, Chris, who can switch it on and off, are still method actors. Mm. And most actors these days are method actors. They are still tapping into emotions that they have and using that to fuel the emotions that their character is feeling in the scene. You know, the difference is they're not like sending their co-stars dead rabbits or something in the post um so so it like it the, the method proper is mm. almost universal it's the method this kind of like showy immersive thing that is a little bit more mm. um uh, alienating let's say and and look i i absolutely agree it's you know possibly the the daniel day lewis thing is is ridiculous as well but it really really worked for me particularly in lincoln not yeah. always but definitely and, in that and he's not harming anyone by doing what he's doing you know he's just doing what he feels like he needs to do to get a good performance so yeah. fine I mean Chris what you're saying about J. 
Jim Carrey, that's different because apparently a lot of people did not enjoy that experience. Huh. No, I imagine they didn't, especially you know, when he turns up at Spielberg's office in, in characters Andy Kaufman and things like that. And listen, you know, it's, it, when it's done well, I'm not writing enough method acting by any stretch of the imagination because you know the results are there when it's done well by a great and skilled proponent of the art, a Marlon Brando, a Robert De Niro, a Daniel Day-Lewis. It's hard to argue with the results. Uh, I'm yeah. just more coming at it from a personal point of view of which yeah. who would I rather spend time with? <laughs> would I rather spend time with <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis in full Lincoln mode, or would I rather mm-hmm. spend time with oh I don't know a, a Paul Rudd? <laughs> Commitment is commendable, though, because I mean, look, I've known you for nearly twenty years, and you've been in characters of raging twat the entire time, and and the results speak for themselves. So that's, I, you uh, know, that's good. Whenever I was, I was thinking about doing a, a quick line. Whenever Helen was saying, you know, it's, it's all about you know, genius, you know, a sort of genius who acts like a complete shit, and I didn't introduce you at that point. I took the higher ground. I took the higher ground. The higher ground. So, so so restrained. Um, it can also have a real toll on the actors. I mean, we, we always heard about, you know, Heath Ledger obviously really struggling when he played uh, Joker. God, is that coming true? Back to bloody is, Joker. Is that true? I, he, I think I, he was certainly struggling with. I'm not saying he was struggling with mental health issues, but I think he was certainly struggling with like sleeplessness and so on. Maybe. Um, yeah. So he he had a really I think difficult time of it. Um, and and uh, in the documentary Val about the life of Val Kilmer, I mm. mean he basically says that immersing himself in the role of Jim Morrison destroyed his marriage like he and he wow. he, he is pretty upfront about it now mm. he says look I disappeared into that role you know research and shooting and everything else for essentially two years and I left her without a husband for two years um Val just yeah. went away it's interesting you know, isn't so it? Sort of blaming it, it Jim can, Morrison, but it was his choice to do well, that <laughs> no it, it it in fairness to him in in the documentary it's very clear he is you know he has taken responsibility for that, mm. um, but uh, but yeah, but he's he's blaming his his commitment to the art, if you like. I think there's also an interesting while we're talking about you know methods and approaches. I think there's an interesting conversation to be had about the difference between naturalism and performances that you know don't feel so authentic, but are nevertheless completely entertaining and engrossing. Uh, mm. We have Jack Nicholson in the magazine, who I think arguably is both or can be both but you know is always pretty much big would you say am i wrong to say that has he ever sort of dialed down yeah he's dialed down things like uh, blood and wine and yeah um you know a lot of a lot of yeah yeah no always yeah he's five easy pieces i, I wouldn't say he's particularly showy in that I mean, he he's known scenes. though for his flamboyant performances he is known for say. his flamboyant performances but i think even jay giddies isn't a isn't a flamboyant performance i think that's there's, I, I there's guess something that's pretty dialed back about that maybe people, yeah Think about the show-stopping performances. Your 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 Jack Torrance's and your Jokers. <laughs> We're back to Joker again, Helen. Um, oh, although God. he, I think I think he is my favorite Joker. Um, well, we have a piece uh, in the magazine about. I spoke to Tim Burton about his experience with Jack Nicholson on Joker, and he said lots of extremely positive and enthusiastic things. Doesn't doesn't have a bad word to say about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like he had a great time. But the interesting thing about Nicholson, I mean, a lot of the Joker's never going to be never going to be a subtle performance. Certainly not in 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 that film and that incarnation but he's still you know his, it still rings true he still like he still seems like a scary psychotic son of a bitch there's this story about Spielberg and Kubrick having a conversation about The Shining because Spielberg apparently when he first saw that film didn't love it so much he loves it now completely and has seen it many mm-hmm. times but he didn't love it the first time around and when he spoke to Kubrick Kubrick asked him why and he said he just uh, Spielberg thought that Nicholson was too over the top. Now, of course he's over the top in that film, and his character is over the top. He's a mad bastard. You cannot, 
I don't think you can criticize the effect of his performance, but it didn't work for Spielberg because he just thought it was too much and he wanted something, I guess, slightly more subtle. And Kubrick mm. stopped him and said, can you list your favorite actors? And Spielberg started saying, mm. you know, whoever they were, Cary Grant and blah, 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 blah. And he said, is James Cagney not on your list? And he said, no. And he said, well, he's one of my favorite actors. And this is, I guess, why you didn't like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. I think it's perfect for what was needed for that role. And I mean, I, I have to agree, you cannot knock that performance, even though he's not someone you're likely to meet on the street. Yeah. And this is it, isn't it? So many of the great characters are so over the top. Yeah. Um, and that you have to have an actor who can step up and meet that sometimes. I mean, yes, subtlety, absolutely important. Also in maybe the majority of cases, but not all of them. Subtlety is not always the way to go. We, we've we've all seen those movies where, you know, an actor's clearly trying for something and and just not going big enough. Yeah. You know? Well, James, you mentioned Arnie. I mean, mm. not the most subtle of actors. It's been far too much Arnold Schwarzenegger chat on a, a podcast dedicated <laughs> to the whole time. No, but I, I, you don't want subtlety in Commando. You close. There's no place Keep for them to it. Me. <laughs> Terminator 2, you know, he's great in it. And he, he is. you don't, maybe he's not the greatest actor of all time, but he's exactly what he needs well, to be, I think. He had those mm. moments, isn't it? Because when he started out, obviously Terminator, he was a natural fit for that role because he was quite robotic and because his accent made him seem alien and his physique did as well. So in that, he perfectly fit a role. Mm -hmm. And then after that, he was just playing Schwarzenegger, all caps. Like, that's all he was playing. He was playing the character of Schwarzenegger, movie star, and that became his persona. So that worked. But he and, tried not to, didn't he, when he started doing Kindergarten Cop, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. I think, and you know, I think he has, he's a man of multitudes, but like, I think he enjoyed comedy. He enjoyed leaning into that, having fun and being absurd. And he really liked that side of himself. But I think he was still, to a certain extent, playing himself a little bit. Like, that's, it was very much his sense of humor, these things were. But again, but I think that's the difference between like actors and movie stars. He was he was the big Arnold Schwarzenegger persona. People went to see films because it was Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't matter whether he was John Matrix or Dutch Schaefer or whoever he was. It was Schwarzenegger, and that's what you wanted. Is that great acting, or is that star power? Yeah, I feel like that's more on the star power yeah. side of the equation. I think that the interesting ca cases to me are people like Tom Cruise or Humphrey Bogart mm. or mm. Joan Crawford or Betty Davis, who absolutely have a star persona and it is very well known and it is written about and it is all in all the magazines and everyone who goes to their films kind of knows who they are or thinks they do mm. and then also has the ability to play roles really really well and that mm. that to me is kind of a really interesting you know wrinkle on the sort of actor versus star power equation yeah, yeah bogart's really interesting because i grew up uh, my dad didn't like Humphrey Bogart. And so by extension, as a kid, I didn't like Humphrey Bogart either. And my, my, the, reason for my, <laughs> the reason for this, my dad said, was because he played the same role all the time. He was the same in every movie. And of course he isn't. Mm -hmm. If you look at The Treasure of the uh, Sierra Madre, he's completely different from, from what he is in Casablanca. He's completely different from what he is in Angels with Dirty Faces and so on and so on. But it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's fascinating. My dad said that while it's also loving John Wayne. So go figure. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe don't take parental advice uh, on on actors. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right about you know, you know, can you be a great actor um, whilst being locked into persona as well? You know, Jim Carrey, for example, I think had to. Again, there's a lot of Jim Carrey chat in this one, but Jim Carrey had to break out of the yeah. sort of bubble that he had that he had put himself in of this wild and crazy guy. Yeah. Um, you know, and it happens to a lot of comedians. And in fact, there's a real lack of comedic actors on this list, uh, which again th speaks to the snobbery surrounding comedic acting. 
Uh, but a lot of a lot of comedic actors find that they get trapped in that comedy typecasting bubble. Oh, you're just funny when actually making people mm-hmm. laugh is the hardest thing to do. Um, you know, and and they try to fight against that and try and break out of that. Carrie is an example. Bill Murray is an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Martin even is an example. But yeah. there, are, there are many, many, many more. The single greatest omission on the list for me is Jack Lemmon. I think Jack mm. Lemmon is one of the absolute all-time great actors. Imagine doing anything your entire life as well as he does every single moment in the apartment yeah. or something like it hot. He is utterly astonishing. Yeah, um, and and him being overlooked here is is frankly everyone should be ashamed of themselves. Everybody just take a moment. Mm-hmm. In I, fact, I, take about two hours and go and watch the apartment. It's the time of year for it. It's a really <laughs> good New Year movie. Just sort your lives out. Come on. I mean, if I put a list of the 50 greatest actors of all time together myself, I don't know about you guys, yeah, Jack Lemmon would definitely be on there. I, I would personally put every single member of the cast of Glengarry Glen Ross on this list. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Al Pacino, Kevin Spacey, and uh, <laughs> Alec Baldwin, and uh, maybe not John, Jonathan Price, but, you know, Ed Harris, Alan Arkin. My God, I you know, that may be the great, that may be the best acted movie of all time, in my opinion. It is incredible. And Jack Lemmon, it doesn't work without Jack Lemmon. He is extraordinary yeah. in that yeah. film. Uh, if you want a later Jack Lemmon performance, uh, yeah, he's he's absolutely incredible. Well, he's well, the heart of the film, right? He is the heart of the film. There are two things I want to discuss: uh, your favorite actor of all time, and who you think is the greatest actor of all time. And I don't think the two necessarily have to be the same person. And uh, when I looked down this list initially, I was scanning for one name and one name alone. I knew De Niro was going to be on there. Mm-hmm. I knew Denzel was going to be on there. I knew Meryl Streep was going to be on there. I knew Al Pacino was going to be on there. I wasn't sure that Gene Hackman was going to be on there. And Gene Hackman may well tick my box. Yeah, uh, Certainly for me, he's the best actor of all time. Nicolas Cage may be my favorite actor of all time. But for me, Hackman is just, because he's everything. He is a guy who's meticulously prepared. He came up in the, in the, in the, in the, in the 60s, you know, he, along with some incredible people. You know, so many stories, obviously, of him living and sharing rooms with the likes of Hoffman and and Bobby Duval and you know Pacino and they all came up together at the yeah. same time. Uh, Hackman may be the ultimate fusion for me of someone who's really really trained within an inch of his life and someone who's incredibly naturalistic. So Gene Hackman mm. is my number one guy. Yeah, for me. and funny. He was really funny when he wanted to be. His Lex Luthor is very funny. He's hilarious in Royal Tenenbaums. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah, he could be he could be mannered. He could be over the top, but he can also, uh, I think be grounded in a way that I think very, very few actors can. And I think that the fact that he maybe came to acting relatively late in life for him mm-hmm. uh, means that he was he was equipped with a certain life experience which informed his acting. Yeah. I Someone who is on the list who is absolutely one of my favorite actors and means a lot to me is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, obviously his body of work was prematurely cut short and I can only imagine what he would have done with further decades because I think what I really loved about him is that he could play people who for better or worse I related to like no one else he could get emotions on screen that I haven't seen anyone else do in quite the same way he could play really really insecure vulnerable fragile messes and he could play absolutely terrifying imposing intimidating motherfuckers and there was just something about his charisma his his heft that he had as a as a performer that just knocked me out you know from mission impossible to to boogie nights he just took control of the screen every time he was doing anything i was blown away by him 
every single time. And just can you can you imagine what he'd be doing today? Who he'd be working with? What he'd be giving us? It'd be incredible. Mm. Mm. Just all the way back to uh, I remember. I think the first film I saw him. I want to say Scent of a Woman. I think yeah, that was probably, the first time I ever saw him. Probably. Even then, he kind of stood out in that role as well. But yeah. as you say, just one of these actors where you knew what you were getting. I have always maintained that Mission Impossible 3 is the best Mission Impossible film. Now, that is an indefensible position, but one of the reasons <laughs> I like it is because he is so he is having the best time in that film. He is so gloriously, he, evilly terrifying. He eats it up. He does, but he's not and he's not an actor who you would necessarily associate with being a like soul-chilling villain. And yet Well, I, I think he had a period where he was playing sort of for better or worse sad sacks and then I think he decided mm. not to or people knew that he could do different things and yeah. didn't that mission trailer start with his little <laughs> was it you have a wife or whatever it is <laughs> I think so really it's hard. really hardcore especially if you you know love him as Lester Bangs in Almost Famous like yeah. oh you were uncool and now you're just a sociopath yeah Helen anyone else on, on your list that yeah. uh, you well, want to talk about yeah, definitely. Obviously, Lemon, I've said. Um, Marilyn Monroe is someone who I probably, you know, seek out her films historically um, just because she is always incredible, even if the film rot, uh, is rotten. And I think that, um, you know, I watched a bunch of them again before talking to uh, Andrew Dominic about Blonde. Mm. And I think that m my big, big criticism of that film is it doesn't give her enough enough credit for how hard she worked at developing her talent. I think it's it's very much like, oh, it's all innate. You know, her, her charisma was just there and she absolutely honed that like a knife. So I think um, she deserves to be talked about uh, probably do you, more. She's do you one think of my favourites. Do you think she's still sort of misunderstood? Because there's a piece in this yeah, issue that... Yeah, 100%. Christ Christina Newland wrote a great piece for us about how great Marilyn was as an actor and, you know, mm. far transcends her reputation as as a movie star, basically. And just basically saying, if you look under the hood, she was doing absolutely incredible, nuanced work. And I think she still gets short shrift from people in that regard. She 100% does. It's because of how she looks. She gets uh, she gets mm. judged as, oh, well, she's a, a blonde, therefore dumb, therefore her blonde, her dumb blonde act must be innate. And it's it's absolutely an act. It's a very, very carefully crafted, uh, finely tuned act. Yeah. Um, so she's up there. Daniel Otoy, we haven't mentioned um, mm -hmm. any very many foreign people so far, but... Um, He's one of my favourite actors. His Henry the Fourth in La Reine Margot. Um, you know, if you see him in Cachet, uh, he's he's just reliably brilliant. I love him, and he's another one of these you know kind of unassuming looking guys. He doesn't look like a movie star particularly. You know, he's handsome, but in a normal sort of way. And then he just unleashes it all on screen. I think he's amazing. In terms of the greatest actor of all time, I think like. I think it has to be Brando. I think there is nobody more influential. I think there is nobody who did more yeah. to change how acting is perceived and and is done. So I, I don't know if we can get past him, really. It's difficult, isn't it? It becomes... It becomes I mean, obviously you shouldn't say this because we put together a list, but it becomes a little arbitrary. I and mean, I think that's one of the reasons why we didn't rank this list because it's like to say yeah. someone is the best actress, like how do you even quantify something sense. like that? I think there are actors, and I think almost everyone on this list is one of those where you know what you're getting. You're getting a a performance, like a rock-solid, reliable performance. So the kind of people on the list are the kind of people who you will seek out films just because they're in them. Mm -hmm. And not because they're a star. Because I would seek out... I've seen every Schwarzenegger film. I made a point of watching even the genuinely terrible ones because I wanted to see Arnold on screen. I think it's a very different thing. Like, that was more about the persona. I think in this, it's like you would seek out these films because there is a... And it's not always true. Robert De Niro has made some absolute stinkers. But he is an incredible actor. And I think you know going in that there will be a level of craft there. There will be a level of acting that you can rely upon. So... Yeah. 
I feel like if we're talking greatest, then influential has to be sort of maybe part of the equation. Yeah, I yeah I would agree with that. I yeah I, I think Brando at times could lapse into self parody, and um, mm. you know there there are yeah. some performances that are, that are less good than others. Um, sure, but he's certainly a very very strong contender uh, for me. Yeah, that's that's definitely a very very good shout. It's hard to look past. Also, for me, it's hard to look past De Niro. It's hard to look past Pacino. Um, even though Pacino, you know, lapsed into a showier style when he Don't came you back. Don't dare come for the devil's revolution. advocate. <laughs> I wouldn't dream of it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's hard to look past those guys. It's hard to look past Denzel. There was literally a podcast called Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. Um, and you could certainly make that case. He is absolutely tremendous. And again, like many of the people we've mentioned, he's this wonderful fusion of movie star and actor. Now, you think you know who Denzel Washington is, a person is based on the movies that you've seen him in, mm. by and large, but he's also capable of going to extraordinary depths as the likes of Malcolm X. He's equally capable of saying a line like, I'm going to kill each and every one of you, and the only disappointment is, <laughs> I only get to do it once. Equalizer 2? Equalizer 2, motherfucker. Oh, oh God. That's right. Is that is that how we end this? Yes, with <laughs> the equalizer too. I'm afraid Alex is how we end every podcast. We'll be quoting that line and and extolling the virtues of the equalizer uh, trilogy, as it's going to be now. Uh, Denzel's signature role had never done a sequel before the, the equalizer two, and Robert McCall he it's just called to him as a as a character as a role. It's hard to see where where Denzel begins and Robert McCall ends. I just want to finish off real quick with a, with a couple of uh, things we have. This is not meant to be exhaustive. These things, it's exhausting, but it's not meant to be exhaustive. Uh, we're not here to talk about every single person on the list, but we haven't even mentioned Catherine Hepburn or her modern successor. In fact, I think she's a, a football manager style regen. Uh, so the Catherine Hepburn the characteristics and statistics uh, have just been passed over to Kate Blanchett, mm-hmm. uh, both of whom are on the list. Hell's Bells, um, as mm. the author of Women... Um, uh, fighting Hollywood. Well, I can't remember exactly the title of your book. You must have. You must have something to say about about both those ladies. Very little, except oh my god, they're so awesome. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just feel like that. But they both have. They're really interesting actresses because they both are very um, particular looking. You know, they both have that very tall. I mean, one played the other. They, they both have that very exactly. tall, kind of rangy energy. Mm-hmm. That that sense of immense poise. Uh, that slightly kind of. Iciness uh, to around the edges, um, I, but I think they're both astonishing, and both can be very, very funny when they want to be. Particularly, mm-hmm. obviously, Hepburn in, in all those um, Hepburn and Tracy comedies. Um, but you know, I think I think their their sort of public personas are very similar, very, very similar. And and you could put, you know, there, there's a sort of a there's a tall blonde lady actress kind of a, a box. You could probably yes. stuff Tilda Swinton and Meryl Streep in there as well. There, yes. There's, you know. Similar sense of authority that a lot of female actresses like Monroe yes. uh, never, you know, never had. Like I think, if, for example, you know, even if Marilyn Monroe had lived to fifty or sixty, I don't think she would have been allowed to age into those kind of roles that Meryl Streep has, you know, uh, or or that Catherine Hepburn did. I agree, absolutely, one hundred percent. I'm also going to say something really, really controversial and daft right now, uh, which is a Kate Blanchett could play Catherine Hepburn, but Catherine Hepburn could not have played Kate Blanchett. Yeah, that's probably true, actually. <laughs> Wow, she couldn't do the accent. She couldn't do the accent. She'd be really. like, oh, "Hello, darling." She'd be like that, and be like, "It would be awful." Be going, "What the hell?" That's not Australian. <laughs> the only, there's only one person who's done a convincing Australian accent in the who's not Australian in the 120 plus years of cinema, and that's Quentin Tarantino in Django Unchained. And where is Quentin Tarantino <laughs> oh on this list? 
Well, we'll just redraw the whole thing, shall we? Mm. All right. Uh, and the last thing I want to ask uh, is greatest British actor of all time. Uh, I have my phone open right now on the list and on a picture of Sir Maurice Micklewhite, a.k.a. Michael Caine. The man who's literally written the book on how to act. He has. Which basically true. don't blink. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Laurence Olivier, John Gilgood, Alec Guinness, Anthony Hopkins, Hopkins yeah. would all like a word. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's got it's got Connery. Would you put Connery on that Connor, list? Connor. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, movie star versus movie actor. star. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, folks. The the conversation, the discussion is moot because Gerard Butler has just entered the chat. <laughs> <laughs> again, guys, what is this conversation we're having? <laughs> this is over. This uh, is acting. <laughs> that, that is. <laughs> Right, on that note, on that Jerry Butler loving note, I think that is it. Uh, again, if you want to look at the, the list of the 50 greatest actors of all time, in no particular order, although it does begin with Denta Washington, so I'm going to assume that he's number one, and it ends with Nicole Kidman. Um, so, you know, bad luck, Nicole. But she straight, must also be number one? She must also be number one, I guess. We're all number one, in a way, and that's how I feel about you guys. Uh, but if you want to go and take a look at the, the list, it is online right now, empireonline.com. Uh, and if you want to pick up the new issue of Empire Magazine, which has got goodies in there, Alex, we haven't even really talked about. It's got the Nick Cage interview. It's got James Mangold and Buster Keaton. It's got Tim Burton talking about um, Jack Nicholson. It's got... Ang Lee on Heath Ledger. Wow. We have Baz Luhrmann on Nicole Kidman. That's we have amazing. Gina Prince-Bythewood on Viola Davis. It's They are beautiful reads. Beautiful reads. Beautiful reads. Beautiful issue. Beautiful everything. And uh, it's time to say goodbye now to my three beautiful colleagues. It was such lethal cunning. All the way from Northern Ireland, Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Toodaloo to you, Helen O'Hara. It's goodbye to James Dyer. Goodbye, Christopher. <laughs> and it's goodbye to Alex Godfrey. In the words of the greatest actor, I'll be back. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me, Chris Hewitt. Or am I Chris Hewitt? Because I'm afraid to say, folks, that I have a bit of a confession to make. For the entirety of this podcast, I've actually been played by Andy Serkis. That's <gasps> right. See you later, preciouses. <laughs> Bye. Good God. <laughs>